Well, friends, today is the two-year anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine, which started on February 24th, 2022. I remember that day very well, unfortunately. So, so do what I. What about you? Yeah. What's the main thing that sticks out to you about that day? Um, just waking up at the start, even though everything was quiet, being woken up by a phone call um, from our regional director and kind of not really understanding what's going on because he was saying that we're under attack. And it was still calm. And it was very quiet and dark. And I checked all the news channels. And we've been checking them for several days already pretty regularly. And everything was quiet there. Nothing about bombing anywhere. And so we came out to this room. And I looked out of the window. And, and there so it, it was, was dark. It was still. Yeah, it was like 530 in the morning. Yes. It was dark. It was this room. We're actually looking um, right out that window right there. And, uh, and it's sort of looking towards the sea. And, and we, and I saw this red flare just of the rocket going up. Um, and then we heard an explosion. And so then, yeah, we, know, we knew that, yeah, that, that, that was real, yeah. And then telling the kids and just kind of having that feeling in the pit of your stomach that, okay, it started now we have to um, execute everything that we have planned. We had a contingency plan, and we had to figure out right away what, what we need to do and, uh, and figure out what exactly is happening, because I think that was the most difficult thing at that Yeah, time. At, the, at that moment, we didn't know if, for instance, Russian troops had landed on the shores of, of Odessa, mm -hmm. maybe they're already in the city, maybe there's tanks coming down the road that could shoot us if we try to leave, so, so that's why we just, I think the lack of information is, is always unsettling. Yeah. Um, and that's why we didn't like leave immediately. We waited till daylight hours till we could figure out what was going on, and then we left. Yeah. So that was two years ago today. And to me, it's really amazing to think, on one hand, it seems like a very long time ago. Yeah, lots, lots of things happened. On the other hand, it seems like the time has gone by so fast, and I guess I'm just, I'm personally very, very grateful to God that we, our home is still here. Most of these last two years, we've actually been here, living here. Although there's no guarantee that it's still going to stand no, no, till there, the end of the war. None. Even just last night, we had a drone attack. Was it last night? It was last night and the night before. And the night before, we had drone attacks, and... Both times we had um, drones hitting civilian buildings. And last night a person died and I guess three women were taken to uh, intensive care. So, you know, it's just, and it's, it's not far from us, really. And they're not soldiers. And they're not dying. soldiers. It's just civilians, yeah. In fact, I just saw they were digging out some probably 75-year-old woman out of the... Rumble. Yeah, she actually survived. Oh, wow. Um, and then the night before, I think three people were killed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we still live with that attack, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about. We'll answer your questions. In fact, let's get into the questions now. Sure. And let's, where let's, do you there start? was there's, there was a question related to whether we were safe in Moldova. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. 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 We'll, we'll start. So we had some questions that came in from our group on Telegram. If you're not in there, I'll put a link in. You can get in that group. Uh, let's start with those. Let's see where was that. I think that was Rich. Our yeah, our friend Rich says. Um, no, it was it was Jim Palm, our friend Jim, <laughs> Jim, uh, who Jim from I, I met them and lived with them in Brazil, 
many years ago. Jim said, at the beginning of the war, you were relatively safer. I like that. Relatively, right? Safer in Moldova. What made you go back to the war in Odessa? You want to start? I would say... Um... <laughs> For us, just knowing that there, there's such a disparity at that time, there was a, a very big difficulty in um, groceries, uh, shortage of groceries, shortage of um, any kind of fuel. care, fuel, um, diapers, all of these, all of these things, and shortage of people because there was a mass, a massive wave of. Um, refugees leaving the country and just knowing that people there need help and that the churches are picking up the slack and they're feeding people and they're ministering to people and knowing that we could be a part of that we could help even in just bringing something to them even if it's just overnight stay even if it's just one service and just as as we say uh in um, in Russian, which means like one leg here and the other leg there, which mm -hmm. means a quick trip. Even if it meant that we would just make a very quick trip. Uh, so that started us thinking about it. And the fact that there were no more lines at the border, I think that was really encouraging us to make those trips. And then eventually seeing how our kids really needed to come back home, for them that was a I think that was a very big mm -hmm. thing. Like they they didn't want to live knowing that oh we can never go back. For me, that question was always there. And when we left on the twenty fourth of February, we didn't want to leave, but we had an agreement with our leadership of our mission that if the missiles started flying, we would leave. So we were faithful to that agreement. If we hadn't had that agreement, I kind of think we wouldn't have left. What do you think? No, we probably would have just waited to see. And if there were no troops on the ground, we probably would yeah. have stayed here. Well, my parents stayed here for about But the reality a is week. nobody knew what was going to happen yeah. at that moment in Odessa. And we did have Americans actually here in Odessa staying throughout the mm -hmm. whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and so we never... What I'm trying to say is we always wanted to stay here. Yeah. And... But also, I saw how God used us in Moldova because we had so many internationals that came out and we helped them, we ministered to them. But that was like four weeks. And after that four weeks was over, we probably had about a week of sort of kind of resting a little bit Yeah, from because that. we were just exhausted. And we then right at the end of March, we had one international that came out and I went to meet him at the border. And I was like, well, there's no line here. It seems like you can go across, you know, without any problem. And... I think what it comes down to is that we really believe all the way back from 2005, six that God called us to Ukraine and that he hasn't changed that call. And so when God calls you somewhere, you want to be there. And it, the relative safety of that place where God has called you to doesn't play that big of a role in it. In fact, I would say it does. It plays the role in the sense that when it's more dangerous, you want to be there more because you know that more help is needed. Yeah. And so, so we all the more wanted to be there. So we went back because we saw the need, because we believe that we're called, and because to us, the level of danger wasn't, it wasn't really that big of a question to us, was it? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, well, at that point, but you know, what we came to realize looking back and kind of taking in everything that's happening with this war, 
we have seen people that fled from very dangerous zones, fled to relatively safe zones, and they were killed by a car accident, or they were killed by a missile that just kind of came, you know, they were not shelled all the time, but just the one of the few missiles, and it just hit the house and it killed them all. So that made us, that made me at least realize that God has your days numbered. And he knows when it's time for you to go. And, and you will meet him when he scheduled that time. Mm -hmm. And so whether we live here and we die in a, a drone attack, or if we're going to be in the States at that time, we will go and meet God. So I, I feel like there's really, you know, um, <laughs> God said it in concrete and... That's what's going to happen. We can't change it. No. So let's let's do this other question too from Rich, yes. who Rich is actually our, our with our mission in Kishinev, Moldova. We when, stayed when with them. When we left yeah. Odessa two years ago, we stayed with them for what, a week. Yeah. Week? Oh, we really flooded. We were his packed house. in there like sardines. <laughs> Thank and, you, Rich and Joanne, for uh, housing so he, us. So he says, "What is your plan if Russia wins the war?" Maybe Rich is wondering if we're coming back to his place. Oh. <laughs> I think he's open to it. He told me, though. Okay. He says, what is your plan if Russia wins the war and perhaps Odessa is threatened with being under Soviet control? Uh, well, I think he means Russian, but Soviet Russian is all the same thing, right? Yeah. Well, I would say that if Russia, God forbid, if Russia takes control of Odessa, we would leave because we would not be welcome people underneath that regime both because we have we are americans and because we are evangelical christians and so unfortunately we would we would have to leave at that point but i think that it would take a lot to kind of get us going like they would really have to be well we're super close <laughs> Yeah, so we do have some contingencies in place if certain things happen, mm -hmm. if they get within a certain range where it looks like Odessa is really threatened. So please pray that that doesn't happen. But we would probably just hop over to Moldova again, I guess. <laughs> However, there is a concern about Moldova at this point. So I would encourage you to, if you think about Moldova, please pray for Moldova because there is a Russian exclave there and they're threatening both Moldova and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So so please pray. Pray that um, Russia is not able to shake the situation, to rock the situation within Moldova and within Ukraine. Okay, let's go to a little lighter question. <laughs> Other not, lighter not the, question. Okay, well, there's, there's not very many, but there's one at least. Vera Yeremiev asks, how do you spend your romantic time with each other in such difficult times? Well, Romance? What? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, well, I would say that not this past winter, but last winter was very romantic because we lit candles <laughs> all the time, right? Yes. Had no electricity for many, many hours last winter. This winter... It's been fine. No, no electricity was on. I mean, we were all prepared and everything, but thankfully, God has kept the electricity on. Sometimes it's a little difficult because air raids happen at night, and so, you know, that kind of cuts into time 
together. Yeah. But well, it's okay. We sit in the hallway together. Well, we do. Yeah, we're still together. True. <laughs> sit next and, to each and other. And honestly, I would have to say because I was just thinking about this because last two nights we had air raids. Yeah. So we usually we shut the lights off so we can kind of see what's going on. And actually, it's a good thing to do because if something does hit our building, all the power goes out. If we have all the lights on in here, our eyes are not going to be able to adjust very quickly to figure out. What to do? Yeah. So we shut the lights off. We sit in the uh, in our little hallway right over there. Try to sit between two walls. <laughs> and we just talk. Yeah. And and I actually kind of enjoy that time. Yeah, but but to to be clear, we we do have restaurants open. We have nice cafes. I mean, on most days, life just it, if you come here, you think that life is as normal. Just just because you would not be able to tell any difference, um, except so, you'll, you'll see tape on the windows. But but we could like we're did, did we go to... on a date on February? Yes, or we did. On Valentine's. Yes, in fact. Yes. Where did, we, where did we go? Went to Benedict. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you forgot. <laughs> so yeah, we have, we do. I mean, we spend our time just probably like anybody else does. We go to a coffee shop or go to a restaurant or. Oh, something we like go that. to like a Home Depot type store. Go to, or go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's, I don't think there's that big of a difference. Okay, next one. What is the sentiment on the ground? Is it this is from Madison, who uh, who was here in Odessa? Actually, hopefully she'll and her family will be able to come back sometime. What is the sentiment on the ground? Is it divided? Are Ukrainians talking about wanting the war to end? Well, yeah, of course they want the war to end, yeah. uh, or being will or being willing to keep going. I, I guess I think what she means is like just stopping the war and giving Russia whatever territory they're taking. Mm -hmm. They've taken. I don't I haven't really heard that from Ukrainians. No, no I think I, really I think that. Ukrainians who are here, who are still in Ukraine, I think they just will fight to the end because they know that when Russians come, they will just destroy all the Ukrainians. They will put them in gulags. They they would uh, have major repressions uh, and persecution of Ukrainians just for being Ukrainian, for wanting to be independent. And so Ukrainians have a resolve. If Ukraine stops fighting, uh, somebody said that, if, you, if Russia stops fighting, the war will end. If Ukraine stops fighting, Ukraine will end. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, of course, there still are, as there have been some very strange, uh, foolish people who are pro-Russian. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while we have the displeasure of, of talking with them. Uh, but in general, uh, Ukrainians want the war to end through victory by Ukraine. And I would, do, I would though say that, of course, over this past winter, there has been a lot more discouragement among Ukrainians. Discouragement in particular because of the lack of follow through from the United States in saying, hey, we'll support you. And then all of a sudden, where's your support? So there has been a lot of a more uh, discouragement and, you know, and maybe not feeling, so positive I think feeling, feeling of betrayal because the United States is one of the biggest countries that, that can support Ukraine, that is able to support Ukraine, especially with missiles, you know, Ukraine is not asking for United States troops to join them, but all the United States can do is just support us with weapons. And and, and there, there's actually a question about U.S. help. I don't know if you can find um, that question there. But um, we, and, and we as U.S. citizens... Oh, this is, uh, this is from yeah. Chris Swan, Woodby Island says, what is the perception of the Ukrainian people about American support or lack of support? 
in the beginning of the war, yeah, definitely, Ukraine was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now they're just like, what is going on? Like, you're just, leaving us here to die, like, It just seems literally. like the United States right now, and especially the Republican, the, the really conservative, uh, the followers of Donald Trump, they're just deciding that we'll just leave Ukraine for Russia to tear apart. And mm -hmm. and that's the sentiment. That's that's really the sentiment. And and we want you to, to know that. Okay, I want to ask a few questions from our pastor, sending pastor, Ooh, Chris Rogers. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if he was like personally asking. I mean, because <laughs> the first one is, how is your marriage doing? What do you think? I don't know. How would you rate it on 1 to 10? I think it's a 10 or 9 or 10. <laughs> well, if she says it's 10, I think that's good. How are your kids doing? Well, I would say our kids are doing well. They're all over the place. We have one that's here, which is Nicholas. And he's glad to be here. He loves being here. He loves visiting the soldiers in the front lines and mm -hmm. finding... <laughs> <laughs> souvenirs from the war uh, our other children would love to be here as well and so especially I think our daughter Nasca, who's just turned 17 this fall uh, she's finishing her last year of high school in in uh, in the US but no praise God that they're doing well uh, what spiritual challenges are you and the church facing here in the second year that you were not facing in the first year that's a good question I don't know I mean, I would say maybe just the, you know, the challenge of, of some discouragement and, yeah. and lack of hope among some people. And I think it's the shortage of men that has been it, Well, yes. In, in the churches, now, I, I get asked a lot to preach in different churches, and part of that is just because there's not a lot of people, not a lot of guys to do it. Yeah. And so that is, that is definitely more and more felt. Um, and then the fourth question from him, what are some of the faith-building lessons God has taught you that you would want us to grasp as well, even though most of us are not in the country in a country at war. I I would say it's the question of safety, mm -hmm. and like I'm not encouraging you to go out and just I don't know stand in front of the train and <laughs> trust that God will save you because it's not your time to go, but you know, just like, just, just be prepared. Just be prepared to to meet God. Just have your life straightened out and and be prepared to meet Him at Don't any second. Don't make your personal safety an idol. Yeah. It's like guess what? You might get hurt doing what's right. You might get sick, and eventually you will die. Mm -hmm. So be okay with that because mm -hmm. it's gonna happen. And don't let that dictate your life of, oh, is this dangerous? Is it not dangerous? Like, if it's a good thing mm -hmm. and the thing that should be done, yeah. then do it. Yeah, take whatever precautions you can take, yeah. but don't let that be the major driving factor behind every decision and constantly running in the background of your mind. Have faith. Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I don't get nervous when Caleb goes to Kherson which is right across the river from the Russians, and it gets hit with artillery very often. I do get nervous, but at the same time, I remind myself that it's just, it's in God's hands. All of our lives are in God's hands, and we're doing ministry. We're serving God, and it's much better to go meet Him as we're serving Him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, um, Leslie 
ask, how have these past two years changed the way you view life on earth? And how do you stay joyful and not give way to anxiety? Let's answer the second part. Because I think we kind of are answering that first part uh, as far as our outlook on life. But how do you stay joyful and not give way to anxiety? How do you stay joyful? <laughs> do you stay joyful? <laughs> I, I don't think there's a difference between how we stay joyful and anybody stays joyful in any place in the world. Mm -hmm. The only way to stay joyful is to keep your perspective on eternity. And also, I would just say, like, take joy in the absolute simplest normal things of life. Yeah. Like, you know. Good weather. <laughs> yeah, good, like good weather. Or like, you know, we talk to our granddaughters and that's a joy for us, right? Yeah. Um, I, I really don't think there's any secret or different way that we would find joy than anybody anywhere in the world. I, I, I can't imagine that there would be a different way. Like, it... If joy is only found in the comforts of life, then that's a big problem. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I find a lot of... Well, okay. I find a lot of joy in like serving people that are experiencing difficult, very difficult mm -hmm. times. Yeah. You know, that, that's a joy to see that that is making a difference in their life. That God is making a difference in their life. Well, and I find joy in knowing that... Um, I'm helpful to people here. Like I'm counseling um, a couple of ladies that I met at the women's center, and and one of them I was planning to already wrap up our counseling sessions because um, because she is going to be graduating out of this women's center program, and then she came all in tears and had all these questions and all these problems, and she's not a believer. And, and right before that meeting, I was praying and I was asking God how, how I can reach to her. And then all of a sudden she comes and she has all these things and she says, I have nobody to turn to. And I find joy knowing that I, I'm here. I, I can help her. And she's asking me to help. And I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a very close friend, mm -hmm. but, but I, I find joy that I, am able to continue to share a little bit of God, uh, from God's word with her, about God with her. And hopefully she can see God through me, through my life, through mm -hmm. my uh, words of comfort to her. And, uh, and that's what brings me joy and satisfaction in what I do. All right. Luke Rumley asks, is it appropriate to pray imprecatory psalms over Russia? How do you not them I, I pray yeah of course yeah. and David prayed them I mean they wouldn't be in the book of Psalms if they weren't appropriate right yeah. so the way that I look at that and the way I explain it to people is that when missiles are flying to innocent people to kill people who are just grandmothers grandfathers children that are just living in their homes yeah. your first thought and reaction isn't well, let's just pray for the salvation of whoever's sending this missile. Your thought is, Lord, stop them. And, and I think that's a natural and right type of response yeah. in those extreme situations. That yeah. when people are going out to cause imminent death and destruction, you pray 
for that to be stopped. And sometimes, often, the best way for it to be stopped is for that person to be taken out. Yeah. So I think we have to be careful to pray when we pray those. But ultimately, too, one thing that I think is important about imprecatory prayers is that ultimately we pray them for God's glory, not for our own personal revenge. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I have... Yeah, so that the murder would stop, that the destruction would stop. And one thing that we have seen is that we've lived in a free country here in Ukraine. All of this time that we've been here since 2007, we have not had a single time where we were persecuted because we were meeting together, we were praying together, worshiping together. And when Russia came to Donbass and Crimea, many churches in those areas started feeling the persecution, the clamping down on their freedoms. And now in 2022, when Russia took over the southern part of Ukraine, the churches there, they can't open their mouths. They're just, they're completely, they're almost snuffed out. Yeah, and there's there's no freedom. Uh, Yeah, and... And so we pray that God would continue this freedom in Ukraine, that Ukraine would continue to send out missionaries, that Ukraine would continue to have the freedom of religion, the freedom of worship. Yeah. Um, another question that Luke asked was, are bombings and drones becoming like car accidents to us here on the other side of the world, or are you fearful that each one could hit your apartment or church or car? I mean... Kind of yes and yes. Mm-hmm. When when they're so frequent and over, you know since two years now, we're not like our hearts aren't just like oh no we're not just like so scared like no. honestly more of our reaction I was like oh great not again. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like it's, it's just it's mainly it's a nuisance. It's, it's almost, a, like yeah. a, a very big nuisance, especially if it's in the middle of the night. Lately, it's been more like in the evenings, like ten, yeah, like 9, 11. 10 p.m. Yeah. yeah. So. In that sense, sometimes, yeah, it might be somewhat like car accidents. Like, we don't get completely, like, scared and freaked out. But car accidents usually happen suddenly. This is something that you're sitting in the hallway and you hear the the air defense shooting at the drone. And you sort of, you know which direction it's coming from because uh, our Telegram channels tell us. And I pray that, that the air defenses take out the drone. I, I pray every time, like, Lord, please give them the, you know, the aim, help them see the drone. And, uh, but sometimes they kind of clip the wing and the drone just goes and hits a building. And so it, it's, it's, it's a very kind of difficult so thing. So I, I would ex- describe it like this. It is kind of like car accidents, mm-hmm. but if you could imagine that, if any car accident that happened in your city could possibly, that car could come flying through the wall of your house. Yeah. Anyone. So yeah. so we do kind of have that in the back of our mind that this car accident could come flying through the wall yeah. of our house and kill us. So for that reason, we bought, we bought a fire extinguisher. So, so now we have a fire extinguisher next to us when we sit in our... In our hallway. <laughs> One more question from him. Is Ukrainian going to take over as the main language in Odessa? And are you already learning or fluent in it? Well, Christina's already fluent in, in yeah. Ukrainian. I am learning it. I hope so. I hope Ukrainian language will become uh, well, it, the I main ho- language. As long as Russia is acting like yeah. it is, it will become the main language. Yeah. I would say that in the first year of the war, there were, 
in Odessa, I'm speaking specifically in Odessa right now, there was a big push for Ukrainian, there still is a big push, but many people who regularly spoke Russian started speaking Ukrainian. I think some of those people reverted a little bit back now just because it's hard for them, Mm -hmm. but still, there's much more Ukrainian now here than there was before the war started, much more. And the youth are much, much more likely to speak Ukrainian, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) It's kind of funny because... Before the war began, I spoke Ukrainian since 2014. I started speaking it once Russia took over Crimea and Donbass. And people here were just always so amazed. Like, are you from Western Ukraine? <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm from Odessa. So to them, it was just just a weird thing. Um, but, but now, but now there's more so and more. No, no. And now nobody reprimands me from, for, for speaking Ukrainian because before that was, that was something that was done. And now I can freely speak Ukrainian. Nobody chastises me for, for that. <laughs> okay. Nathan Schellenberg asks, can you tell us more about the churches that have been planted since the war began? Well... Yeah, I mean, I think one of the churches that we're working with, which is uh, Crossroads Church, they have planted kind of like a second location. Mm -hmm. And that began because they just started serving people after the war Mm -hmm. started. They didn't go anywhere. They stayed in place. There's needs. They began meeting those needs. And uh, it's a difficult time to plant churches because there's not a lot of people to do it. Yeah. There's, a, there's people that would come, but there's not, I mean, that would attend the, the churches, but there's not a lot of ministers that are available to actually do the planting. That's probably the biggest difficulty behind it. So if you decide to plant a church, you understand that that means all the work falls basically on your shoulders and you just double, triple your work but I, there's there's another church in downtown they actually started right before the war began but then they sort of like disbanded and then they restarted after the war the the big invasion um two years ago uh and that's odessa bible church and again they began by just serving people uh, serving those in the neighborhood and it's the biggest testimony i think know. to to people here yeah all right, Joshua asks, how is the ministry coping with the challenges so far? I think people are adjusting. They're figuring out what the main mm-hmm. needs are, the ministers, I mean. Um, but like, like, say, for instance, you work with the Women's Center, right? Yeah. So how, maybe how does that change the ministry there? What, what does that look like? Well, now we're looking for materials that we could be working with these women on um, materials that would help with their anxiety. Because before we worked with them mainly on parenting the children and marriage and mar- marital relationships. And now it's more of a, uh, of a material that needs to address their emotional state, their anxiety, level of anxiety, mm-hmm. how how we can work on that and introduce the Bible to them through that material. So if you know of any of that type of material, please let me know, So because we're looking for something like that. And also um, PTSD. Mm-hmm. That's also one of, the, one of the big 
issues because I think that some of these women will have their husbands come back with PTSD and then we would like to equip them to help them understand how to deal with that. And I would say for our Center for Evangelism and Discipleship, after the war started, we now do a lot more in creating tools that churches can use who are doing outreaches, use for evangelism and use for discipleship. Mm -hmm. So we really started to produce our gospel magazine more that's used in many outreaches. In fact, we just gave out about 5,000 of our latest one, um, Teach Us to Pray, and we're getting ready to print more now. We're also printing some small Bible studies on um, the Beatitudes that are evangelistic in nature, and those are being printed, printing 7,500 of those. Uh, and so, so a lot more of, of that nature of material work, where before the war started, we were more training in churches. Mm-hmm. Now we're just give more like giving churches the tools that they need to, to be able to effectively do evangelism. Okay, um, Stacy asked, can you recap what the day was like for you, your family, and your closest friends? Like a, a normal day in ministry. Uh, today? today, today is Saturday. Yeah. So it's a little, little bit of a different day. I can tell you what I did today, which wasn't necessarily a normal day, <laughs> but I went to the office this morning and worked on. What did I work on? Oh, grading my students. Uh, from I was kind of behind in my grading, so kind of kept caught up on some grading from one of my evangelism classes. Had fourteen students. And then I caught up on emails, and then <laughs> I met with one of the guys I'm discipling, and we planned some of the um, English slash Ukrainian outreach ministries that we're doing. And then we met with one of our Indian students. Uh, we're studying uh, the Gospel of John and, and the Book of Genesis with him. And then you talked about marriage. And we talked about marriage <laughs> together, too, uh, with, with the two guys. So that, that was basically my day. I got home, what, 5 p.m., I guess. And um, I have been a part of this sewing brigade. This is a volunteer organization in Ukraine. And what we do is, we actually do many things. Uh, it's women who have sewing machines and that are desiring to help help the military in whatever way they can. So many women sew military uniforms, different military um, carriers, whatever is needed for for military, our military guys. But I um, signed up to make adaptive clothing. It's basically t-shirts that have Velcro on the sides uh, that would be uh, accommodating guys that have arms in like, not cast but like p- they have pins in them they cannot put their arm through the shirt but, through, but the sleeve. through the yeah. sleeve yeah so um so i've signed up for that so i was working on making those t-shirts and um, this is something that if you're interested in helping um, please contact us um, certainly this sewing brigade always collects um, collects either money or they collect t-shirts, brand new t-shirts to be um, made into these adaptive t-shirts. 
uh, shorts, pants, socks, underwear, you name it, we, we do it also. Um, also make these orthopedic pillows for the soldiers. And so uh, just please contact me, let me know if you're interested in helping and uh, I can give you a little bit more information. All right, so Robert asks, how are the children adapting to living in a country at war? What is the new reality for them when their world has been turned upside down? So I guess we can answer this like for our children, children in general and maybe oh, for okay. our children as well, personally. Yeah. Well, I can tell you one thing. Okay. As soon as Airy begins and there's something flying to Odessa and we make our way to the hallway, our phones usually ring and it's our daughter Nasca from the States or Noel from Argentina. And, oh, are you guys okay? What's flying? What's going on? And they usually also watch those channels, same channels as we watch, but they just kind of stay on the phone with us throughout the attack. Maybe that gives them comfort, just knowing that. Well, they've <laughs> lived through that too, yeah, so they yeah. know the experience. I, I was gonna share another interesting story. It was maybe like a month and a half ago or two months ago, and we had a pretty, pretty significant attack and just before that that day we'd really been kind of after Nicholas to clean up his desk <laughs> and he finally cleaned up his desk and I just hear him walking down the hallway after the air raid along uh, yeah he did a good job yeah, he yeah, like he really tidied up his room and he said if the Russians blow up my desk I'm gonna be so mad <laughs> I was like really <laughs> I mean, this is our reality. <laughs> I guess this is like a little, you know, insight into maybe how he thinks about that. Yeah. Uh, it's unfortunate that for the children of Ukraine, especially those living in areas that receive, you know, incoming drones and missiles, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. It's not something that they get all scared and alarmed about, unless maybe they're real close on the you know, front lines where they're getting artillery. We don't get artillery here, yeah. thank God. Uh, that can be more scary. It's, it's kind of normal. The children go to school here. Mm -hmm. Schools have, are building shelters now. Basically, every school has to have a bomb shelter. Mm -hmm. And so they, they have to have a bomb shelter when there's an air raid. They all have to go to the bomb shelter. We yeah. don't go to bomb shelter because we don't really have a good one near well, here. Well, we, we have one at the school. But we sit in our hallway, yeah. I mean, if there's if there's a massive rocket attack and we see that things are flying to Odessa, I would probably be more inclined to go to a bomb shelter. But um, thankfully, our apartment building is not near anything strategic that could be of interest to Russians. So, you know, the, the hope is that we're not going to get hit, but you don't know. You, we, we don't know, so we just we just trust God. We, we go into the safest place in our house between the two walls, and we wait for the um, attack to be over, and we pray. We pray that God would take down those missiles. An amazing thing is happening, and maybe many of you don't know that, but a lot of missiles that Russians shoot, if you are not aware, they shoot it over water. They shoot it over the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And the reason why they do that is because many of those bombs are not functional. And so they don't take off those rockets. They don't take off. They just fall down. And so they've done several times. They've done several bombings over 
Belgorod, which is one of the Russian cities, and several big bombs just fell in the city. Thankfully, they didn't explode, but but that, that's why now they're bombing us from over the sea. So um, we pray. We pray that those bombs don't work. We pray that they just fall down. We pray that Ukrainian defenses take them out before they are able to damage any of civilians' buildings. One more question. Kim asks, what is the best way to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ from afar? And I would say, of course, we, we need your prayers. If you have friends in Ukraine, communicate with them. Let them know that you're praying. I would also say that it's very important for us that you stick up for Ukraine yeah. in the, the U.S., where it seems like some people are listening to to people who are influenced by Russian propaganda, saying yeah. that we should not aid Ukraine, we should not defend them, we should not support them, we should just let all of our promises to Ukraine fall, you know, by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so stick up for Ukraine. That's an encouragement to us here when we hear people saying, no, we really think that America and the world should help Ukraine at this time. Yeah, call your representatives because that's the the um, House of Representatives is the one that seems to be really stalling that aid. Call your representative. Encourage them to vote to help Ukraine win this war. And that's, you know, obviously in the political realm, but as far as the churches go, I would say if, if you have brothers and sisters that are serving full-time, that have ministry, um, of course you know us too, uh, <laughs> keep supporting them financially yeah. because we saw some, some great, you know, very generous gifts uh, two years ago at the beginning of the war, yeah. and that was obviously used for, for aid and uh, much of that went out very fast, and now two years later, we don't really see those. Yeah. And and I don't just say that so that you would you know get, donate towards us, but in general, like maybe you have some other church that you're working with or contact, like 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 that's very very valuable now because the needs are really not getting less. Yeah. If anything, the needs are actually getting more in many areas mm-hmm. because of the economic difficulties connected with the war one of russia's main ways in which they wage war what do they do? why are they shoot odessa they're shooting oftentimes the granaries here they're trying to stop the economic you know they're trying to stop the economy of ukraine the they're economy trying to snuff ukraine. it out yeah. yeah and so so support your missionaries support your your ministers in ukraine mm-hmm. because many of them are involved in, in aiding people and continue to do the gospel through through that aid work that, that they're able to do because of the support that they have from, from the West. Yeah. And thank you so much for asking those questions. We appreciate it. We really appreciate knowing that you're interested in what we're doing here. So please continue to pray. You can pray in precatory prayers about over Russia. Yes. Uh, we, we pray. We pray that God would stop the evil mm-hmm. that is coming from Russia. So I hope that we answered most of your questions. I tried to get to most of them. Some of them were a little bit um, were similar, so I tried to combine some of those. But always, if you have other questions, please send us a note. Let us know. We'll try to do our best to answer them. And in the meantime, keep your prayers going strong for Ukraine and for our ministry here. Blessings to you.